Let's look to the Lord and ask God's blessing on our service today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're just so thankful that you love us. Thankful for the precious cross of Calvary and the precious blood that was shed. That if we put our faith and trust in you, we'd have eternal life. We're thankful for your grace and for your mercy, for your great love. Bless the service this morning. Be with those who are watching on the live stream. Pray, Lord, that you'd help them to sense your presence there as well. And uh, just meet with us today in a special way. Help us to leave this place, Lord, uh, just knowing that you've completed a work in each of us. But as always, Lord, we just pray again. I'm just so thankful for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles today and join me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. And we will look at our confident calling this morning. We've been studying the book of Romans verse by verse for several months now, a couple of months throughout the summer. And today we will be halfway through the book of Romans. Chapter number 8 and verses 28 down through verse number 39. That's our text this morning. This passage of scripture is written for those who face trials and difficulties. Anybody in here ever face trials and difficulties in their lives? <laughs> Cal's like, no, not me, right? I know he's kidding. We all face times of trials and difficulties, but how many of you have found that there are just times where you're strong in those trials and difficulties, but then there's other times where you just feel that your confidence has been shattered? Your confidence has been shaken. You're just at the point where your faith has become weak. We read about, we read about Hebrews 11, or we're in Hebrews 11, we read a lot about the, that great hall of faith chapter, and we read about, oh, uh, these Old Testament heroes like Moses, and we read about Joshua, and, or maybe in your Bible study you've got a favorite character like David and Goliath. But sometimes you don't feel, probably most times, you don't feel much like David who slew Goliath. You don't feel like your life belongs in any hall of faith that's ever going to be written. I know that's how I feel sometimes. Well, the, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, where we are today, he's going to remind us that our confidence is not in the amount of faith that we have, but faith in the one who has called us. Let's look at what it says, one of my favorite verses, and I want you to see today, every believer, God's plan is unstoppable and his love for us is unsurpassable. Romans 8, verse 28, would you read this with me? Read it like you believe it. Maybe you don't feel it this morning, but you know you believe it. Read it like that. Romans 8 and verse number 28 together, and we... Let's do it. Let's try that part again, because that's the best part of the verse. Are you ready? And we, we know, we know, I'll come back to that in a minute. We better move on. That all things, join me, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. To them who are what? One more time. The called according to his purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, I pray for anyone in here that I believe there's somebody that needs a touch from you this morning. 
I believe there's somebody that needs to hear from the Holy Spirit. And God, we're grateful that when your word is opened, your spirit speaks. So I pray that you'd speak to us today. Help me to my flesh to be out of the way. I pray that that, that this would be your word that's magnified and your name, Jesus, that's lifted up today. In that wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What I want you to see here is that you can have confidence in that promise in verse 28. First of all, point number one this morning is this. You can have confidence in the sovereignty of God. You can have confidence in the sovereignty of God. You say, what is the, what is the sovereignty of God? Basically, it's this. God is always in control of all things. Always, all things, he is in control. Oh, but Ethan, look at what's happening in Eastern Europe right now. All things, God is in control. Well, look at what's going on in the financial markets right now. All things, everywhere, always, God is in control. He's in control of the big things, and he's in control of the little things. There is not a molecule in this universe that does not come under his sovereign power. All things. In fact, some friends, we have friends that are battling illness. They're battling cancer. There is not a cancer cell that is not subject to the sovereign hand of God. There is not a financial trouble that you can face that God does not have control over. You see, we know we are not hoping, wondering, unsure, and we know. When I was a little kid, my mom, uh, as she still is, she's very involved in the, youth, uh, the children's ministry here at our church. And for many years, she taught the junior church all by herself. And I started learning how to teach alongside her. I was 12 years old. She'd help, she'd help me get through the lessons with the kids. And God used her. But she taught us a song in junior church. And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And then we'd sing that again. And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And then there's a refrain. And the, the, the refrain says, and we know. Yes, we know. We don't think, but we know. We know, we are confident that God is in control, that he is sovereign. There's a certainty there, my friend. And look what it says next. We know that all things work together for good. That doesn't mean that everything is good, right? It doesn't mean that the sickness is good. It doesn't mean that the financial trouble is good. It's just a thing. And in this life, in this cursed world that we, read, that we studied about in previous verses in Romans, in this cursed world, there's some things that are good and there's some things that are bad. And all those things come into our lives. How many of you are dealing with some of those things this week? You've got some of those things and you say, you know what? All things, they're not good, but through God's sovereign plan, all things work together for good. That God can take even the bad. Did you know this? God can even take the sinful actions of wicked people and still accomplish his good purpose with them. Somebody might have done you wrong. And it wasn't that God planned for them to do wrong because there's this balance between my free will and God's sovereignty. 
But God allows people to have a free will, and some people choose to do wrong with that free will. But under the sovereign hand of God, he can even take the evil deed and work it out for good for his beloved children. There's a great story in the Old Testament. Some of you might know it. If not, you should go back. The second half of the Old Testament of of the book of Genesis is basically about a guy named Joseph. And some terrible, terrible things happen to Joseph. He's betrayed by his brothers. And they're separated for years and years. And at that final reunion at the end, when he meets his brothers, they don't know it's him. And he reveals, it's me. I'm the one you did all those terrible things to. He looks at his brothers and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That God can take even the worst trial that you or I could face, and God can work that for good. That's his sovereign hand at work. But for whom? For whom does this apply? Is this just a blanket promise to all of humanity? Is this just, hey, don't worry, it'll all work out in the end? Does that apply to everybody, yes or no? It does not apply to everyone. It applies to a certain specific group of people. And that is the ones who are the called. The ones who love God. The ones who are the called according to His purpose. You say, well, what does it mean to be the called? And how can I ever know if I am the called of God? Well, despite what you may have heard, it's not difficult to know if you are the called or beloved of God. It's actually quite simple, and this scripture explains it to us. There's some very heavy theology in the following couple of verses. Um, I think it's been overcomplicated by a lot of folks, and I'm going to try to give you the straightforward understanding of the text this morning to understand who the called are, who these chosen people of God are. Look at verse number 29. Verse 29, follow with me. There's some key words. I will stop, and I'm going to ask you to say that key word when I stop. Are you ready? Donna and and I, we're ready to go. Here we go. You ready? And it says, verse 29, for whom he did. Circle it, mark it. It's in your notes, too. That's where we're at. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. I've heard some people say, well, I don't believe in predestination. Well, it's in the Bible, so we better look at what it means. Now, there's some ways people define it. I don't believe that either, but I do believe, and we're going to unpack this morning the beauty and the wonder of God's predestination. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be, word, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the Firstborn. Now, I want you to take that conform to the image and then that firstborn. I want you to circle those and link them together because what is there is you would have had to be following along the previous messages. Last couple of weeks, we talked about adoption. Remember that? Just nod your head and make the preacher feel better. Like, oh, yeah, I've been following all along. Yeah. Adoption. We talked about adoption whereby God makes us equal standing with Jesus. You're like, what does that mean? Go back, listen to the messages. This is adoption right here. So we were foreknown, and then we were predestined for adoption. And then this amazing thing happens. 
Verse 30. Moreover, them, I'm sorry, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. He called. And whom he called? Them he also justified. We spent five chapters on that one. And whom he justified, them he also That was last week. Glorification. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's, I put these on your notes. Let's kind of walk through the understanding of this very simply. Foreknown. Very simple. It means to know beforehand. Not overly complicated, right? To know beforehand. How many of you are glad that God knows all things? Time is, time is equal to him. Future is just as settled as past. God is eternal. He transcends space and time. Which is why I think sometimes people have a little bit of difficulty, myself included, with these kinds of topics. Because what has happened here is we, the curtain has been pulled back into the sovereignty of God. But it's been pulled back about all that we can handle. I mean, that curtain hasn't been flung open, right? Where we, we would see and under, we can't, we are not like him. But what God is doing in this passage is he's just given us a little peek behind the curtain as to how sovereign he is. So if you're like, oh yeah, but, but does this happen then that? And then, then what is the order of all these things? Some things we are just not meant to know or completely understand. Now watch what happens next. So, foreknown. So notice in your handout. God has always known those who are his. God has always known who would believe on his son. Now what's wonderful about this truth is foreknowledge is not just knowing information beforehand. But this Greek word for foreknowledge, it has the idea of relational intimacy. Two people who really know each other. And I've got good news for you. If you've believed on the Son of God, if you are among those who would believe on the Son of God, not only did God know that you would believe, but God has had a special plan for you forever. I mean, before you were even in existence, you were known and cherished and loved by God. For whom he did foreknow, now... He also did predestinate, to predestine the predetermined destiny of all who would believe. The predetermined destiny of all who would believe. This is a, de God says, I have a destination or I have a destiny. Now notice what has been predetermined. You'll never find that it has been predetermined that we would believe. You won't find that in the scripture. There are some people who teach that, that, well, you are going to believe whether you like it or not, which is a bit absurd in my humble opinion. And I have good friends that would disagree with me on that. And so I respect them. But you'll never find that we were predestined to believe. What was predestined was the outcome for the believer, the destiny of the believer. If you will believe, 
and you are among those who will believe. Well, let me tell you about my elect group of believers. Let me tell you about those who are called of God, the ones who God foreknew, the ones who would believe on his name. Let me tell you what was predestined. What was predestined is that we, back me up to verse number 29, what was predestined is that we would be made like Jesus, that we would be adopted that we would be given the status of the believer as a child of God. You say, so why is this written? It's written so that you can know for certain what your standing is. It's written so you can say, wait a minute, I've believed on the name of Christ. Well, am I going to lose it? Am I going to fall away? Is God really got a hold of me? Well, the Bible says this, if you have Jesus, if you've believed in Christ, then it has been predestined you will be like him one day. Nothing to do with you, but by his sovereign power, God will make you like Christ. But predestined before the foundation of the world, that all who believe in Christ will be made like Christ, adopted, given the status of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now this next one is really cool. And that is, back to verse 30 now, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also what? Called. Circle that one. This is what theologians refer to as the effectual call. This, is the, this does not mean an, a, an invitation. Now, aren't you thankful that we read all throughout the scriptures that God gives an open invitation? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The gospel message is the first call that goes to all. But when you see this word calling here, it's not an invitation. It's a royal summons. It's when you are called, well, in the negative, called. How many of you ever got called to the principal's office? You knew what I was going to say before I even finished it. Like, Patrick, I didn't even finish the sentence. I didn't say principal. He's like, yeah, that was me. That was me. Was that like, did you view that as you were supposed to RSVP or just show up? You just showed up. Now, that would be, that would be uh, the negative use of this idea of called. But the positive is this. If you were called to appear before the president of the United States, would you believe that that required an RSVP? No, you've been summoned. Now, we're in a very libertine society where the president is equal with us, but put yourself in ancient times. If the king calls, what do you do? You go. When the king calls, you come. Now, this is what's really cool. This is not the call to believe. This is the call to be what? You got it. It's right there. It's the call to be what? Justified. It's to say, you are you are. You are one of those, my children, you are, a, you are a believer, then you have been summoned by the king for your adoption ceremony, for your justification record to be settled once and for all. It wasn't me. I didn't say, well, Jesus, I will believe in you, and, and now I'll try to justify myself. That's what religion teaches. Religion, in some forms of Christianity, they say, well, you believe in Jesus, but then you do this, 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 and this. No. The moment I believed on Christ, God said, you come, you come, you come right now, and I will justify you. I will declare you to be righteous. I was spiritually summoned into the courtroom of heaven, 
and God said, your sins are covered, you are my child with adoption status, and you, I look at you just as if you've never sinned. You've been justified. And God's call cannot be refused. You say, why is he, why is he talking about all of this? Because he's building our confidence. He's building our confidence, saying, who accomplished all of this for you? In fact, then he says, you'll be justified, you'll be glorified, eternally set apart from sin in the presence of God. So I put this on here. How does it work? My responsibility and God's sovereignty. My responsibility is to obey the command, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, by his sovereign hand, calls me into this predestined eternal plan for all believers whom he foreknow, foreknew. In fact, there's another scripture that describes it. Look at John 1, verse number 12. John 1, 12 on your handout and on the screen. But as many as, what's the first thing? Received him. To them gave he power. We do the receiving. He does the saving. He does, we do the, we do the, the, the free will believing. He does the sovereign saving. Believe on the Lord Jesus, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us where? If you want the choosing, where do you have to be? You've got to be in him. Chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, what has he chosen us for? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I was, because I would believe on Christ, I was predestined to be made holy, to be made blameless, to be made a child of God. And that is supposed to give me confidence. That's why he says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. And then he takes two verses to explain God's calling on our life, God's calling to our salvation. And the point is this, all of those things we looked at are the most significant things in all of eternity. Justification, adoption, glorification, our eternal status. If God would go to such great lengths to secure all of the eternal things, we can trust him with all the other things, with all the other things. Confidence in his sovereignty. Secondly, now, let's look at this in verses 31 through 34. He moves on. He doesn't just want to give us confidence in the sovereignty of God, but he gives us confidence in our Savior. The focus turns to Jesus. In verse 31, he says, What shall we then say to these, oh, there's that word, to these things? What do you say to these things? Well, which things is he talking about? I kind of think he's talking about the things in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good. 
He could also be talking about the things that were just described, but I think what's happened is he's introduced the topic of these things in my life, these things I face, these things I began with, sickness and troubles and trials and relational problems and financial problems and all the things that give us trouble in this life. And then we think about our calling in God, and Paul says, okay, now that you've been armed with some theology, now that you've been armed with some truth about what God has done for you, now what have you got to say to all those things? Now what have you got to say to all those things in your life? You look at that sickness, you look at that trial, you look at that difficulty, and you say, hey, thing, hey, you thing, guess what? God is, God is what? He's for me. God is for me. You might come against me, but who are you compared to the one who is for me? You need to, believer, you need to speak to those things. You need to speak to the things in your life, not your words, but the word of God. And when that thing raises its ugly head and says, I'm going to break you down, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to bring you to ruin, you need to stop and say, wait a minute, I am the beloved of God. I am predestined. I am adopted. I am called. I am justified. I am sanctified. I am glorified all by his sovereign power. Now, who did you say you were again? Who were you? Because the God of all the universe is on my side. Woo! God is for me. Who can be against me? Confidence. God is for us. Who can stop you? Now look at the focus on Jesus. He's like, are you still not convinced? Maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe you're not wired to respond well to theology. So now he tells you a story. And he says, hey, remember Jesus? Do you remember everything Jesus did? Verse number 32, it says that God the Father did not spare his own son. The Father looked at Jesus and said, Mind-blowing right here. This ought to cause us to worship. God looked at Jesus, and Jesus looked at the Father, and they looked at us, and they said, they're worth it. They're worth it. Heaven's best, not spared for earth's worst. Well, you put all the themes of Romans together here, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you see the things coming back again? Sometimes we got things coming against us. Sometimes we need things. If Jesus, the cross, shows us that he freely gives, if he would freely give, what is it that you need again? Was it some money that you needed? Because he gave you his very son. I wouldn't worry too much about if he'll take care of the money thing. What did you need? Because he said he'd freely give all things. Verse 33. So the God is for us. The cross shows that he freely gives. The cross shows also that we can never be condemned. Look what it says in verse 30, uh, 34. I'm sorry, I've got to back up to 33. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You see how he just keeps like building our confidence there? Saying, hey, he doesn't say, who, who, shall, who, who shall lay anything to the, to the charge of those struggling believers? 
those weak and wounded warriors out there. He doesn't say that. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Those who are the chosen of God. Who, who can accuse you? Who can, who can charge you of anything? We know that it's the, the devil is the, known as the accuser of the brethren. And he stands before God and he makes accusations against the people of God. He accuses, but he doesn't just make an accusation in heaven. Do you know where else he accuses? Yeah, he accuses right in here and right in here. And he comes along and he says, the elect? You? Really? Don't you remember what you were thinking about yesterday? Don't you remember, don't you remember how you behaved last week? Don't you remember that you're still hooked to that addiction? Everybody in the church thinks that you have victory, but I know your secret. Accusation. Accusation. Now, we're not making an excuse for sin. I think we looked at that back in chapter 7 and chapter 6. So you've got to put it in context. But at the same time, there is nobody in this universe that can stand and accuse you or me of anything if we are in Christ. Because I may have some faults, I may have some failures, I may have some struggles with sin in my life, I may not always be victorious, but the truth is this, my salvation is not based on me, it's based on what God has accomplished. I am the elect of God. And he says, you feel down, you feel defeated, you feel like you have no victory. Who is it that's coming up against you? The devil? Do you read the end of the book? Do you read what happens to him? You are the elect of God. Confidence in what our Savior has done for us. The cross shows us that we can never be condemned. So who is it that you're afraid of? Finally, the resurrection. Not finally, finally. Just finally for now. The resurrection shows us. Some of you are like, no way. I'm like, yeah, no way. The resurrection shows us. The cross shows us we're never condemned. Now the resurrection shows us that Christ intercedes for us. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Oh, I, I already preached that, but I just want to preach it again. It's the devil who accuses. It's a co-worker. It's a, it's a carnal believer who accuses. Any of them die for you? You and I just need to worry about what Christ says about us. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, let's not stop at his death. Let's get to his resurrection. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that he is, say it with me, risen again. Up from the grave, he arose to conquer sin, to conquer death, to purchase we, the elect people of God. But he didn't stop there. He today, right now, is seated. Now, it doesn't say seated here. You'd have to read the book of Hebrews. But he's not standing at the right hand of God. He's sitting. Anybody know why he's sitting? All the work's done. No work left to do. He's seated at the right hand of the Father who also maketh intercession. The book of Hebrews says that he ever liveth to make intercession. What is intercession? It means that he goes to the Father on our behalf. He goes to the Father on our behalf. Now, I don't know how much of this is figurative and how much of this is literal. Remember, we're just getting a little peek behind the curtain. But the fact is this, that Jesus stands there. There is one God and one mediator between God 
and men. The man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. He's the mediator. If you grew up in a system that told you you needed a human mediator, you had to confess your sins to someone and then offer it up to somebody else and then pray you for this or that. No, it's Jesus who ever lives to make intercession. It's Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And what he says, listen, guys, this is grace. Grace means no matter what you've done, Jesus intercedes for you. And says, no, she's, she's with us. He's with us. The blood covers that. It doesn't, again, it doesn't give us a license to sin, but it, it should compel us more that if Jesus would intercede for my sins before I was a believer and he continues to intercede for my sins now, how much more holy do I want to be? Now let's go to the final point. We have confidence in his sovereignty. We have confidence in his Savior. And then finally, we can have confidence in our success. Verse number 35, verse 35, he says to remember whose we are. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He, he gives us some who's and some what's here, but the most important thing to remember in all of this is that we belong to Jesus. Now, this basically reads as a doxology at the end of a doctrinal treatise. So basically, Paul's like getting ramped up here. And he starts out with, all things are going to work together for good. God's got a plan. Let me give you a little doctrinal instruction on how you can be confident of that. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. And then as I read it, Paul just breaks out into glorious worship at the end of this passage. And he says this. Read it with me. Ready? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, which is, oh, sorry, I'm ahead. I got to the later part. Shall, tribulation? What's the answer? What's the answer? No way. Shall tribulation, shall, or how about distress? How about persecution? What if you even faced a famine? Do you see what's happening here? Like, we've felt, we've, we've faced tribulation, most of us. Little distress. Not much persecution. None of us have ever faced a famine. But he's going to the worst crises that people could ever encounter. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword. Verse 36, as it is written. He's going back to the book of Psalms. He says, remember, even in the Psalms, believers have been dealing with troubles from the very beginning. Even in the Psalms, we were told that we would face difficulties. We would face trials. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. You, you, now, I don't know if you've ever gotten that desperate or that depressed, but that's real. That's how people feel sometimes. When all of the world comes against us, when all of the worst things come against us, we feel like, I, I'm just a... I feel, I, the psalm said, I just feel like a lamb to the slaughter. I feel like there's no hope. I feel that my life is, is pointless at this time. Verse 37, he answers. You've already been answering. And he says, no. Nay, in all these, there it is again, what? In all these things, we are 
He could have said conquerors. That would have got the message across. Would you agree? Would conqueror be sufficient? Yeah. Like, I don't know any losers who are conquerors, right? Like, I, I would think that conquerors would be a sufficient word choice here. But what does he do? He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, would you read this with me? Let's just finish with verses 38 and 39 with everything you've got left. Ready? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You've got to this morning refuse to live a defeated life. I see so many Christians and their attitude is just, it's like, what's going on? Well, have you watched the news? It's getting worse and worse. I was listening to a preacher this week. And he said, he started his message saying, boy, these are great days to serve the Lord. These are great days to serve the Lord. And you know they are. Because the darker, you've heard this, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. These are great days to serve the King of Kings. In all these things, we are not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. And they're Christians, and if you want to do that, if you want to go through life, and just defeated and down and saying, yes, I, I'm glad I'm saved, but, you know, I'm really struggling. The fact is this, and I'm not saying it's easy. There, there's real struggles that we face. There's real difficulties that we face. So I do not mean to trivialize it. But what good would it be if we didn't actually apply the scriptures? What good would it be if it was just theory on a page instead of power in our lives? And we said, you know what? I refuse to live a defeated life. I refuse to let the spirit of this age control my decisions, control my family, have an impact on me. I refuse to believe that my circumstances define my life, and I am going to claim my destiny as a conquering child of the risen king. That's the decision we need to make. And to go out day after day believing the power of Christ, to take those fears, take those things, and lay them down the feet of our conquering king. Believer, look what he's already done. You've been called. You've been called to conquer by the power of Christ. But maybe you're hearing or you're watching or listening and you don't have that complete confidence. Like, man, Ethan, you're talking about Jesus dying and, and then Jesus calling us to be his children. I mean, I've heard about Jesus. I kind of believe in him, but I, I'm just not sure that that's me. I'm just not sure that I am one of those called of God. Well, you can, I, I tell you how you can know. If you want to find out if you are among the called, right now in your heart, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to save you. And Romans 10, 13 says this, for whosoever, anyone who will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Any person who will say yes to the call of, to, to the gospel call of Jesus, who will say yes to the invitation to salvation, you can be confident 
that your eternal destiny, destiny is settled. But do not, do not face your life without him. And worst of all, do not face eternity without Christ. But believe in Jesus today. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's truly just a matter of your heart. If you believe in your heart, Romans 10 says, if you'll believe in your heart and if you'll confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you say, yes, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's to confess with your mouth. And then if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, whoever you are, whether you've been in church your whole life or you're brand new to, to, to Christianity, Confess with your mouth, I believe Jesus as my Savior. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. And you'll, you can claim the promise that all things will work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. We finish the service today with just a moment of reflection and response. It's an opportunity for all of us to reflect on what God has spoken to us about and then to respond in prayer to him. So I'd like to do that right now with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed. In just a moment, we'll have a concluding hymn. But right now, how did God speak to your heart this morning? Most importantly, if you've never believed in Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. Wherever you are in the room or watching, would you just bow your head to the Lord and say, Jesus, I do believe that you died to save me. I do believe that you rose again. And I ask you to save me. I put my full faith and trust in you. It's not special words, but it's the belief of your heart. Do, will you believe in Christ this morning, right now? Maybe you came in unsure, and today you made sure. Christian, how has God spoken to your heart this morning? Aaron's going to play a little bit on the guitar as we quietly pray, but I'd ask you, maybe, you, maybe there's a, a struggle you've faced, and, and you have just have forgotten that you are more than a conqueror. Would you just spend some time with the Lord as we bring the service to a close. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've given us, um, Lord, the salvation that you've offered to us so freely through your son. God, we pray that you'd help each and every one of us to not take that for granted. And Lord, we pray that if someone in here doesn't know you as their savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire 
is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.